Hello and welcome to the Boss Podcast, episode 89. I am Kirk Bailey and this week I am bringing you a boss talk from one of our USA conferences with Twitter expert Laura Fitton. The Business of Software podcast, sharing sessions from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. Find out more at businessofsoftware.org. Laura Fitton, or Appstachio on Twitter, co-authored Twitter for Dummies and founded 140.com when she recognised that software built on Twitter's API was going to change the world. 140.com was later acquired by HubSpot and Laura now runs The Enough Company, which exists to explain and evangelise market-driven shifts that bring speed and scale to the climate crisis fight. As a marketing expert, she believes that everyone can benefit, dramatically, from real-time technologies like Twitter because of their power to overcome isolation and enjoys showing companies how to grow by helping people buy instead of cramming marketing messages down their throats. Happy listening. So I'm here to talk about how you can do a better job selling your software through social media, but a lot of you look like engineers, and I employed software engineers for the last 32 months, and they always made me nervous because they were very skeptical about social media. So I'm going to start right out with who here is using social media and feels really confident that it's helping their marketing? Okay. Who here is using social media and is like, yeah, this isn't helping at all? Okay. And then who's kind of in the middle? Like, I still have my mind open. I want to learn more about what can be done. All right, great. So we've got pretty much 33, 33, and well, 40, 40, and 10, 20, whatever. Uh, <laughs> So math, not my strong point. Also, clickers, not always my strong point, too. OK, no worries. We can, I can make up more questions to ask you guys while we're uh, waiting. Everybody here, your business has a Twitter account, right? Anybody whose business doesn't have a Twitter account yet? Ooh, some rebels. We had, uh, so I don't know if all of y'all are from here or if most of you traveled in. But you may not know this, but Boston is now the most innovative city in the world, just like magic, because someone said so. And it's kind of fun. And last night up at the convention center, there were like 700 people in an audience watching all these startups from the latest batch of the Mass Challenge present. It was really, really cool and exciting to be in Boston and think about all this. One of the things that conference did that I thought was awesome was put up a huge board that said, here's the Twitter guide to the event tonight. And it had the Twitter handle of every single company there. And whether you're a skeptic about Twitter marketing or enthusiastic about Twitter marketing, you cannot deny that an event where one of 40 startups could get so lost with a crowd of 700 people, having that single point of contact where someone could lock in and follow and go back to it later is a very, very efficient way to keep in touch with someone after an event. Oh, yay, how are we doing? Great. Um, one last question, because the title, subtitle reminds me. Most of you are B2B, right? How many B2C? Okay, great. I'm going to talk about a lot of stuff here, and I know from other audiences that it's not easy for, but common, shall we say, for the B2B types to kind of lean back and start going, yeah, all that applies to the the consumer side, but that doesn't apply to my side because I'm selling to businesses. And I kind of, I try and bring up this idea of H to H. Because whether you're selling a giant corporation or, you know, a teenager, you're selling to a human being. 
There is a human being making that decision somewhere. So a lot of the relationship building, the trust building, the confidence building, and the sense of being of service to people is super important, whether you're B2B or B2C. Please don't block it out. Now, Mark asked me to start out with a little bit of my personal story. I thought that was odd for this conference, but since I'm talking about how social media marketing can be successful, and since my whole personal story kind of hinges on that fulcrum of, wow, this person came out of completely nowhere on social media marketing alone, I'll go ahead and, and indulge Mark and, and hopefully not indulge myself too much and tell it. This is Laura now. This was Laura then. I, honest to God, in March 2007, did not know what the term Web 2.0 referred to. And I had even tried blogging, but I looked at my then developer husband and said, right, Web 2.0. Um, so I upgrade the browser somewhere, and I'm going to see new things on the page, right? Where do I upgrade my browser? Honest story. Uh, two months later, started to get into Twitter, was blogging on my own, and um, boy, some really, really crazy stuff happened. From Shell Israel, the author of Naked Conversations, identifying me for a research project, to, and, and here's a tip. If you ever want to evangelize something, convince an evangelist first. Because <laughs> one of the first things that happened to me was I had the audacity to email Guy Kawasaki a blog post I wrote about Twitter as a serious business tool, which was insane in August 2007. And uh, God loved the man. He listened, and he kind of told everybody else. Uh, next thing I knew, someone was DMing me and saying, how do you know Scott Godin? You're in his book. Uh, Seth Godin, you're in his book. Uh, someone asked me to present on Twitter for Business at HBS, which scared the out of me because I wouldn't have gotten in to HBS. Um, and any fans of Elle Woods here? This is like the least likely audience to even know who that is. The, the film Legally Blonde, this woman just decides to go to legal school, law school, and she's like a little Barbie doll. At one point, the professor goes, do you think she just woke up one morning and said, I think I'll go to Harvard Law School? I kind of just woke up one morning and said, I think I'll become a tech CEO. So with my great marketing background and no experience with software, I did 140. And yes, fortunately, as he said, three of the speakers are now HubSpot, which weren't before. I've now joined HubSpot and David Cancel's performable team over in Cambridge. Well, how the heck did that happen? Well, I don't know how this piece of metal grew into the tree, but I do know a little bit about how all the craziness happened for me. And it, it boils down to this concept that HubSpot talks about a lot. And this is, in fact, full disclosure, my job now is to talk about the concept of inbound marketing. But it was really inbound marketing. It was putting ideas out there that I thought were useful and the world being a path to my door because they wanted to hear more. Um, something I challenge you in your marketing materials, I'll bring this up again later, but I want to start with it right now. Your company solves a problem, right? Raise your hand if your company doesn't solve a problem. <laughs> Good. And it provides value. Raise your hand if your product doesn't solve a problem or provide value. Now, and be honest on this one, raise a hand if your marketing doesn't solve a problem and provide value. Do you think people in this audience would pay you money for your marketing materials? Honest? Because they should, right? I, oh, that was a great no up there. Whoever said that, thank you. It's such a natural no, right? I posit that to do this stuff right, and for those of you saying, ah, social media, it doesn't work, you generate some social media that would be worth paying money for, and I think it might start working. Just putting that out there. Um, again, another remark from Guy Kawasaki, particularly funny one. And uh, you know, I don't know about your marketing budgets. I talk to startups a lot, and certainly they have very tight marketing budgets. 
if you don't feel like spraying a lot of money out there, you might want to find out what inbound and, and social media marketing can offer for you. Obviously, pretty obnoxious most marketing. This is how most people feel about most outbound marketing, most pushy sales calls, direct mail. This is what they're doing to respond to outbound marketing methods that they don't like. It's not even working that well anymore. It's not just that inbound's the right way to go. It's that the old way just doesn't really work. So today, it's about figuring out how to draw people in, how to get the world to beat a path to your company's door the way the world beat a path to my career's door, if you will. Less of this and more stuff people actually want, people actually need, people actually love. Your company solves a problem. Your product solves a problem. That's what you want to write about and create videos about and share with the world. Material that the person who needs to have that problem solved needs. Now, it's not always material about the problem itself. Right here in Boston, Grasshopper, anybody know them? They build these virtualized phone systems. Their blog doesn't say anything about phone systems. Their blog says everything about what a young entrepreneur needs to know or what an up-and-coming entrepreneur needs to know. It's a standby place where you can go as one of their potential clients. You can go there every day and find out the stuff you need to know to solve the problems you know you have. Because that's another thing. The content you put out there needs to be about problems people know they have. If you're just throwing out content that's really irrelevant to their lives or that comes off as irrelevant, they're going to call you on it. The problem is, you know, you used to have to look to authorities, whether it was the salesperson, the news anchor, you had to look for authorities to mediate your information about products. And the reality is now people are getting their information about products from one another. And you can't really game that. You have to do that honestly. This is, uh, these are a couple slides I stole from Darmesh. I hope he didn't show them to you yesterday. If, if he did, they're worth, they're worth looking at. Um, so, you know, just like this totally detached, isolated mommy in South Boston ends up being a book author and a tech CEO and VC funded in like a two-year period, the mere mortal has some power now. It's not about you anymore. The way to get generate influence in this new world is no longer the soapbox, because frankly, the whole soapbox thing and Super Bowl commercials and all that, that was a temporary aberration in how people communicated anyway. The era of mass media was cool and great and big and exciting, but for tens of thousands of years before that, humans worked out a lot of other networked ways of communicating, and we're almost going back to that. So as much as people like to go, oh, social media is new and freaky, I don't know what to do with it, it really is kind of a return to roots where you gain influence by being useful. That is my two, I'm, I'm preempting one of my slides, my two-word guide to social media is just simply be useful, provide some value to others, provide attention to others. You get a lot farther shining the light on a client's success story than you do listing out a bunch of product features. Even listing out a bunch of product benefits if you've mastered that aspect of features versus benefits. What's really, really different in this world, and one of the reasons I became so obsessed with Twitter in the first place, this, this world is so dynamic, um, we are still very fixated on influencers, get to the tech blogger, get Scoble to write about my product, that kind of thing. But there's a new emergent principle I call the message of the influencer, and I give the plane picture as a perfect example of this. The guy who took that picture had 29 followers on Twitter, but that picture made it to the entire world in less than 29 minutes. The man stepped off the ferry and cameras were in his face how does it feel to be an internationally published photojournalist because you twit picked something, right? 
So what happened in this case, I have the backstory. Plain, you, you know the plain part, right? I'll tell you the Twitter part. There's a guy sitting in a skyscraper in Manhattan looking down and thinking, holy expletive here, there's a plane in the Hudson. And his next thought was, I bet there's something on Twitter about that. And he went searching. He found the photo and then he was able to relay it. So there was still an influencer in the network somewhere, but it was the fact that that message was so good, right? Now, I'm not gonna set your sights so high to say you're gonna generate a piece of content about your company that's that good, but you get the idea. You get a lot further generating something awesome than you do spamming Brian Solis and Guy Kawasaki and Robert Scoble and trying to get them to blog about it. If you generate stuff that's really, really good, they'll be bugging you to pull it out of you to blog about it. And that is the one, if I can impart one thing today, that's the idea. The message is now the influencer in these, in these different systems and these different modes of communicating. Another thing I've noticed is it's any to many. One to many is over, right? So the example before and the example I'm about to give are both great examples of any-to-many. -many. It's a little hard to predict where that great next signal is going to come from. And that's, you know, that's the pebble on the fulcrum that I showed you earlier. You can, you can upset the apple cart by having something truly great, and it can emerge from any part of the system. This isn't a nebula. This is a diagram of rumor tweets about Osama's death breaking out. It's noteworthy to point out that Keith Urban, the one who tipped it, and it's kind of faded there, it's a little hard to read, could not have been, they've, they've analyzed all this data. A company called Social Flow did the science on it. There's no way you could have mathematically predicted that he would be the influencer for this particular event. It just happened right. They even found numerous examples of actual journalists who speculated on the rumor within a similar time frame, and their rumor didn't break out. So it's easy to go, well, sure, his Twitter bio said he was with Rumsfeld's office, so that's why it broke out. But numerous others, and in fact, the person he had heard it from was actually a, a journalist who had also tweeted it, but his didn't explode. So that aspect of unpredictability provides a really interesting uh, snare in this. And then uh, another Osama death. This is the guy, uh, Osama death example. This is the guy who live tweeted the whole thing without having any idea he was live tweeting the whole thing. And I use this to illustrate the principle, and I know this is very Twitter heavy, but, but you can extrapolate this to other platforms, that Twitter means five billion people could be publishers right now. Five billion people have access to a telephone that can send text messages, and four or five text messages, and you've published a tweet, and if you've published a tweet, you've actually put up a web page. Anybody here had to put up websites in like 96, 97, right? Yeah, that was easy. That wasn't much work. You can now send four text messages and a page exists somewhere and can be linked to and can be found later. So man, when you talk any to many, I think this is one of the best examples we've ever had. And I think there's some cool stuff coming in the future. So that's a zoom in on the Keith Urban explosion. You can see it hits the entire network and this is within moments event horizon. It's very, very quick how it spreads. The message propagation is what got me obsessed with Twitter so early on. So, you know what this one's gonna be. Ready? One, two, three. Oh man, you guys are tired. Someone needs to get them a lot more caffeine. We're gonna try that again. One, two, three. Thank you. Much better. Who wants to read that one? Right? I've been saying for years until I found this graphic, take your message and just turn it inside out. 
And then I found this. I'm like, oh my god, that's so much better than how I've been explaining it. What do I mean by take your message and turn it inside out? Well, maybe you have a complicated product sheet, and it lists all the different features of the product. You're going to need to digest that a little bit and maybe filter it through the lens of what a customer would do with the product. And, and you know, create, whether it's a blog post, a Facebook post, an ebook, a presentation, a white paper, create a version of that complicated product sheet that you can read as a customer and think, oh, yeah, yeah this is me. Um, even in the example of you've got your blog and you're sharing your blog on Facebook and Twitter, you could go blog title, link, blog title, link, blog title, link, and, and good luck to that because it's like a little press release page. Or without adding any you know, conversation and engagement and fancy, touchy-feely crap, you can do the same essential feed, but instead of title link, title link, provocative question about the reader, link. Interesting factoid from the article, link. Compelling quote from the article, link. Right? So I've taken the same piece of content in the same stream. I'm just linking to like four or five blog posts. But I've turned it inside out, and I've made it more about the reader than it is about me. If you learn that one thing, because that is the key to generating really valuable messages, because you're going like, Laura, I can't take a picture of the plane in the Hudson. How am I going to make a remarkable message? Make it about the user. Which, by the way, your products should be too. <laughs> but that's a whole different talk. Um, so this is an example of one of the things Darmesh did. Like most of these little apps, this is our one of our best sources of leads, period. And most of these little apps are things Darmesh hacked on weekends and nights. Because God loved the man. He's a CTO of this huge, fast-growing, second fastest growing software business out there right now. And he still codes every day. Um, and these are just like little hacks that companies can come along and grade and see how they're doing. It's totally hands-off for us, totally useful for our customers. Um, we actually got written up in a case study of what we did at Dreamforce this year. Because instead of having booth babes and trying to scan everybody's badges, we didn't scan any badges at all. We stood there with iPads and ran diagnostics and emailed them to people and said, it was great to meet you, and let them walk away. All we did was make it about them, provide some value, and then like, hey, it was nice meeting you. We're here. Because honestly, and this is Darmesh's kid, and I totally stole this slide. <laughs> you know nobody feels like that. So all right, a lot of generalities, Laura. That's fun. That's great. Can you give me some specifics? So I'll give you four whole words, and I won't make you read them because you don't know what they are yet. If you master this four-word rubric and, and whatever social media you're engaging in, whatever inbound marketing you're engaging in, just keep working through each of these points cyclically. This is in order, but you have to keep cycling back. So you want to start with an effective monitoring strategy, not just to monitor your brand, but to monitor the types of keywords around the problems you solve. Um, someone asked me years ago, I'll give such an out-of-industry example, um, way before there was anyone mainstream on Twitter, someone said, yeah, well, what the heck's John Deere going to do with Twitter? There's no John Deere customers on Twitter. I said, yeah, but there's a few million people who mow their lawns all the time, so they could collect aggregate data about seasonality of mowing, frequency of mowing patterns, concurrent activities that someone's doing while they mow, and get product ideas from that. And this is a phenomenal source of data. Um, when I was doing the Osama death song and dance, I didn't mention it, but there's a company called Dataminer looking at the Twitter firehose and serving the financial services industry. They gave a heads up to their customers 18 minutes ahead of the news cycle 
that it was likely Osama was dead. So considering how valuable real-time stock tickers are, can you imagine what an 18-minute head start was for those five financial services companies on responding to something of global importance? Data coming from, I think, mainly Twitter, may have had some Facebook data in there, is now by using, being used by various health departments to trace outbreak of disease. Um, this data is surprisingly predictive. So, so have a strong listening strategy that's not just CYA for the brand, but expansive to research and new things you could delve into. Learn. Man, I'm so tired of, of brands that just, they see the stuff and then they don't change anything about what they do. Learn and care, these two together, are why Dell is one of the best social media people out there, social media companies out there, sorry. People worry, oh, if I get into social, what if I do something wrong? Honestly, the people who, the companies who are head and neck ahead of everybody else right now are really only there because they got attacked first. And they had more time to work through the learn and care and learn and care and really try and do it right time. So don't be afraid of messing up. And do put emphasis on learning from what you're doing and, and caring that you do well. And serve, honestly, we've been doing that one this whole morning. That's be useful. So you already nailed that one. We break down inbound into three steps because one of the other big mistakes we see out in the world around social media marketing is focusing only on the top of your sales funnel. If all you do in social media is try and get people to come to the site in the first place, you're gonna get stuck. You need them to come down the sales funnel. You need to build the relationship, build the trust, and build the understanding of what exactly it is that your product does. Again, B2B or B2C. And you can do that with an effective inbound marketing strategy. I get asked a lot, what's the difference between content marketing, inbound marketing? Isn't that just the, the branded HubSpot term? And it's really not, because content marketing is just that top skim layer of the funnel where you're just, we'll put out a great piece of content, people will come to the site, and then profit, you know? It's like the troll underwear cartoon. We all know the troll underwear cartoon, right? Oh, come on, you're also shy. You're like nodding your heads and say, right? Nobody wants to admit they know the troll underwear cartoon, but they do. Um, so get, what's, did someone ask what is it? Okay. It's, um, is it original in South Park? Thank you. It's a business plan. And it's these troll, you know, it's like, someone, someone tell it better than I can. The underwear gnomes, that's right. And they have a chalkboard that says, you know, gather lots of underwear and then question mark and then equals profit. Right? Exactly. Yes. So you're all here for step two. So, you know, we want to not only get found with our content marketing as step one of your inbound marketing plan, but you want to get found repeatedly. You want to work that middle of the funnel. And, and David Cancel is speaking tomorrow. I'm sure he will talk much more about the middle of the funnel because he's a master of it. But it's keeping people re-engaged. It's giving them the content once they've heard about you, giving them deeper and deeper content about what you do and how they can solve their problems, because remember, it's not about you, until they convert. And maybe they only convert to a lead. So you want to go you know, contact or visit, lead, customer as you go down that funnel. And then the third most important part of, of inbound marketing is making sure you're measuring what matters, because otherwise you're not going to know whether you're converting or not. Um, great example of this from 140's launch itself. We drove tons of traffic to that site. We had one of the luckiest launches I've ever seen. Part of it was the guy named Brian Solis was an advisor. 
he had great contacts. He kind of just called all the tech blogs and said, here's the story, and they all took it. But we had drastic differences in numbers across tech blogs that were, and I won't name names, this is a very techie crowd, but two giant tech blogs that cover social media and startups all the time. You can just guess who. Delivering the same exact amount of traffic, which was tons, tens of thousands. One of them was converting at five times the rate of the other. And if we hadn't been measuring that, we would have just gone, oh, great, you know, 20,000 hits from these two blogs together. Instead, we were able to see, wow, blog A, those people don't just show up. They actually do something. They actually come further into our funnel. So you need to be measuring more important things than just followers, raw traffic, stuff like that. And you need to be measuring it throughout the cycle using trackable links, using you know, A-B testing, using whatever you can do to make sure the way you're presenting the content is effective, is solving the needs, and is moving the buyer forward in their thought process about whether or not to buy from you. The basics on get found, and I'll, I'll show this graph a few times. This is sort of a schematic of the types of tools you need, whether you use our platform or not. The types of tools you need, the top row is your get found row. The middle row is what I mean by the middle of the funnel. That's the convert row. Um, and of course, the measure row on the bottom. Um, so just you know, for the record, all the things that are in orange are things that our product does. The things in white are things that we have third partners on the platform who come in and do. Getting found in the first place. If you are not blogging about your keywords that you want to be found for in Google, you are throwing money away. It is not easy to get to the top of any given SEO SERP, but there are strategic ways to do it and intelligent ways to do it, and they amount to being useful. <laughs> Go figure. So you want to actively be pursuing that because that's going to be hugely important. Um, I have a friend who is getting into this. He has a small business, and he keeps saying, I need more backlinks. I'm going to hire a guy to go get me a bunch of backlinks. I'm like, why don't you just generate a lot of content that people want to link to, and then you'll just have the backlinks. He's like, no, 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 I'm going to go get backlinks. So the get found layer can be fun. It can be a little experimental. It needs to be that service thing, but don't be afraid to polarize. You don't want to get everybody. This is why things like raw traffic and follower count are so meaningless. You can easily get any Yahoo chick can get 86,000 followers on Twitter, but what can she do with them? Intentionally trying to take the, uh, take the piss out of myself. Is that OK to say here in front of a British audience? Um, don't be afraid to polarize, because it's about finding your right people. It's not about finding the most people. You don't get a prize at the end for having the most Facebook fans or having more than your competition. You get a prize for growing your business. So take a point of view on the stuff that will filter down who you're attracting. It's OK to attract fewer people if they're the right people. Make the customer absolutely the hero of your story. If you're short on what to blog about, if you're feeling uncreative, if you're not sure what to write, Send out a questionnaire to a bunch of customers, or better at pick up the phone and call them, or Skype with them and record some videos. Hear what they have to say, because they know your product probably better than you do in many cases. And make it, you know, make it noteworthy. The more valuable and remarkable it is, the more pickup it's going to get, and the less you're going to have to push it out to the influencers. Convert, again, is this middle row, thinking about landing pages that make people actually want to sign on and get more information. Thinking about lead nurturing. Now, marketing automation is a bit of a, a, bit of a controversial thing, because nobody likes getting spammed. 
And marketing automation is this concept that once someone takes a certain action on your site, you can follow up with a sequence of emails. In and of itself, it's okay, as long as they know they opted in. But boy, that sequence of emails better be valuable content. It better be in the category of stuff they would want to pay for otherwise. Because if it's not, if it's just self-serving, if it's just me, 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 man, it's the fastest way into someone's spam filter. So that's why we call it lead nurturing, to help convey to people the idea that you really want to just build up the relationship and build up the trust with that person, not treat them like a prospect who, if you hit them 10 times, eventually they'll say, all right, fine, and give up. Um, and lead management, understanding, all right, who are the types of people coming to the site? That's great, 90% of them are never gonna buy, but boy, these 10%, these are the type of people we wanna know. These are the type of people we, we think the software would be really good for. Um, and again, falling back on the be useful, valuable content is the most important thing to have in the convert layer. And measuring what matters. Um, you want to be doing your overall analytics, but you also want to be A-B testing different ways, even, I don't mean just A-B testing your products, I mean A-B testing your marketing. See what we works that you put out there, and when you see something that really, really does a good job, generate more content around that, generate more engagement around that. Proactively go out and search for people who are interested in that and try and draw them in. You don't just want a following, you want a rock concert. You want people really excited about what it is that you do because they will also tell others. And that's going to get you a lot farther than any kind of, you know, again, influencer channel outreach is being done so poorly and it is so ineffective right now. But drawing influencers in because you really have something good, absolutely going to work. Of course, one of the challenges here is you need so many different tools to manage it. Luckily, a lot of them are free. Luckily, companies like HubSpot and you know, our competition have assembled a few together to make it simpler. This is our particular constellation of how we look at it and what we think you need to pull together and have all in one place. Because let's face it, you also have software to go build. You don't want to be stuck spending all of your time marketing and you have customers to service. Um, but whatever you do to solve for this kind of mess problem, think about integrating it so that your platforms work well together. Think about, you know, Whatever, it's, and it's not the same as everything I share on Facebook is also on Twitter and also on LinkedIn and also on my blog. It's thinking about what works well for the different platforms and yet complements what you're doing on the other platforms. Um, this is my sort of thank you and goodbye slide because I wanted to get right into questions early on. Uh, that's, that's HubSpot. You're going to hear lots more about it you know, yesterday with Darmesh and tomorrow with David Cancel. It's a very fun place to be. Uh, it's not just how excited our employees are, because our employees, I will admit, we look like a cult. It's how excited our customers are. You know, to have 5,400 companies, all of which are more or less growing in a down economy, has been just an amazing experience for me coming over from a startup, right? Um, I also, if you guys don't have any questions, I'm going to parade a bunch of unicorns by you. So I'm threatening you with that now, in fact. Um, we put together a huge deck on SlideShare of marketing fantasy versus fact. Um, I pulled out some of the ones that are most pertinent for this audience so we can fly through those. If we don't get to those, this deck and all the kind of bonus content will be up on slideshare.net slash pistachio. Also, because we're all learning how to market here, even those of you who are not in marketing per se, 
Say who you are and what your product is, and say it in a way that shows how excited you are about what you do. My name is Shane. I suck ass at marketing. Woohoo! Uh, no, we have a. We are HubSpot. We are HubSpot customers. Yay! Uh, and we are uh, admin arsenal. We sell we sell software to Windows administrators so they can deploy software. Uh, basically, um, our, our customers are geeks, the forty year old virgins that live at home in the basement with their mom. Anyway, um, where, where, I've, where I've had a difficult time. Easy, all you have to do is get them late. Sorry to offend the 30, 33%, 33% of the people here that I've just described, I apologize. <laughs> anyway, um, I've, I've had a difficult time in, in trying to separate, I mean, I've got a, I've got a Twitter account, um, and I want to post about suggestions for, you know, for, for how to use our software. I'm not sure whether to use... My, my business Twitter account or the actual company's Twitter account, I never use my personal Twitter account, and I don't, uh, there are actually people in this room who shall be unnamed that I stopped following because while they had some great insight, I also found out what color stool their kids laid that day. <laughs> and it usually matched whatever the wife made for lunch, which I also read about. So where do I, where's that balance? I want to be able to, I want to be able to use it. Do I use my professional account? Yeah. Do I use the admin arsenal account, et cetera? Um, yeah, people have a little trouble with you know, business appropriate. And Twitter has some massive filtration problems because you really do have to channel it on different accounts. You can't just direct different individual tweets. That said, quick clarifying question. You have a personal, a professional, and a company one. So professional is like, it's still just you. It's not an aggregate account. But it's where you tweet about business stuff as opposed to your kids' stools, because that's what you treat on your personal one, right? <laughs> Kidding. Um, that's interesting. That's a lot to manage. I actually honestly have a hard time even managing two Twitter accounts when I have to, and I, I, I do kind of have the, the at pistachio one, which God only knows what to call that. It's, it's personal, I guess. It's not business or personal. It's just me. Only it's not me, because it's taken on a life of its own. Um, and then we always had a separate 140 account. So I, I do espouse, you know, one for the individual and one for the brand. And often the brand will segment out. Like a huge brand like Walmart has like 50 different ones towards different art audiences. Even a tiny startup like 140, we had one aimed at developers because of the developer side of our apps marketplace and one aimed at consumers and marketers for the other side of our marketplace. Um, so it is okay to segment. As far as what's on the personal one, you know, Pistachio is more personal than most people's kind of professional accounts, but it's less professional. You know, it's 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 in between. Um, I really think what matters most is what you are willing and able to maintain, and what's effective. And I think good ways to know effectiveness are use clickable links and see if people are clicking them. Uh, you know, Bitly or whatever link shortener of your choice. Um, Look for whether or not you're being retweeted. Most people don't know how to find the page on Twitter that says your tweet's retweeted by others, so they only see the retweets that appear as mentions. Um, but look for both and see. And whether, you know, follower numbers don't count, but the kind of overall growth trend does count. So if you see that that's been growing like this and then it falls off when you start producing a certain amount of content, then that probably wasn't that workable with your audience. Um, but so much of it is trial and error and experimentation, and so much of it is predicated on what you're actually willing to sustain. 
Because what's useless is when you have five different accounts and they're all perfectly targeted and four of them haven't updated in three months. Hi, I'm, and, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm Corey. I'm the solo founder of the Birdie uh, personal finance tracker. Um, I love the messaging behind be useful, big believer in it, and also uh, be honest, as we heard about yesterday, which is, which is crucial to sort of all this stuff. Um, so, but in, in that vein of being useful and being in the personal finance space, um, I find that pretty much every idea that I can think of to write about has already been written about, about 10 times. Um, and so I actually have a sort of a hard time rewriting the same blog posts that have been written about in 10 other places, just because it feels a little irresponsible to keep publishing the same content. I was wondering if you had any, any thoughts on that or maybe how to utilize you know, other people's content that's already been written uh, for my own gain and profit. <laughs> wow, again, two very different questions. Um, so I used to do these things called Startup Weekend. Uh, and we had a rule during the brainstorming about what the business, because Startup Weekend, you get a bunch of people together in a room. And it used to be they would all come up with an idea for one company and spend 48 hours building the company. Now it's multiple ideas. And they're awesome. I actually mentored one about they're, a month ago. They're so much fun. And, and I got to say, like a ton of people I still know and really rely on. We're at the startup weekend I went to four and a half years ago here in Boston. So it's, it's got the B-school experience of it's who the people you meet. But we had a rule during the brainstorming that if someone threw up an idea and someone else said, ah, that's been done, we would actually all chime in and say, Samson's did it, and you know, kind of quelch that, like, get over yourself. There can be two of a certain thing. I mean, God, had anybody done search when Sergey and, yeah, no, there were like 12 search engines, right? And they did it better. So try not to self-censor. We beat the crap out of ourselves on a daily basis. Again, that's a whole other talk that I do. Um, try not to self-censor too much, because give yourself some credit. You probably do have a unique perspective on it, or you wouldn't be building a software solution to whatever's unique about that. Um, using other people's content, people love to be linked to. People love to be invited to guest posts. So if there's a great piece someone did, but they did it a year ago, Email them. I was going to say call them up, but who uses phones, right? Email them and say, we love your post. Would you be willing to do a reprise of it? And have them actually update it and change it a bit so you're not going to get dinged on the search engines as duplicate content. But you're actually going to do people a favor by like, hey, new and improved, new points, new insights, whatever. Um, for the stuff you're writing where you just simply know other people have covered it, so what? There's realtors on every block, you know? I mean, there, there does need to be some duplication of content for people to find the one that's comfortable for them. And that's why that, that side with the signpost where I said, don't be afraid to polarize, it's easy to give lip service to this idea that, yeah, you know, you just need to find your right people. But that is so important from a competitive standpoint and being able to sustain your growth. Be real clear on who you are and who you aren't. Because you can cover the same topic for widely different audiences. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Business of Software podcast. For more information, go to businessofsoftware.org.